Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we ask the question, is it marketing BS or genius? Genius, genius. <laughs> well, let's talk about jump ropes. <laughs> so the backstory here uh, is that we just kicked off a new session of the pricing seminar. In the beginning phases, we do a whole bunch of kind of introspective exercises about purchasing decisions that we make and other people make to kind of expand our minds and get outside of the your own business. It's really hard to see the forest for the, the trees in your own business. So I try and broaden everybody's perspective right at the beginning. And somebody brought up this great story about, I don't, I don't want to out him by name, but he, he told a great story about uh, jump ropes. And it came to his attention that, that there's such a thing as a $36 jump rope. And it brought up this common reaction. It's almost like a cliche or a trope in pricing where, where there's this thing that seems expensive to someone, like ridiculously expensive to someone. And the reaction is, uh, why would anybody spend X for this thing? That's crazy. <laughs> and what it spawned was a discussion around what are you really buying when you buy a jump rope or a consultation or a workshop or or a car or whatever, or a watch, a hat, what are you really buying? I think in general, it's safe to say that when you see other, especially other people buying stuff about which you are not an expert, a watch is a great example. When you see people spending what you think is preposterous amounts of money on a watch, it's just a watch. You could just get, you could get one in a Cumberland farms for less than a dollar. Why would you spend, <laughs> why would you even spend $25? Never mind 2,500 or $25,000 on a watch. And it's just fundamental misunderstanding of what the person who's spending that extra money is buying. So I thought it would be a, uh, an interesting conversation for this episode because all of that stuff that's getting purchased beyond the thing itself or the, the product or service itself is super important, perhaps even more important than the thing itself. So recognizing it as either genius or BS, I think is a pretty important thing because if you think and I know a lot of folks who follow me are very pragmatic, utilitarian sort of developer types. And to them, marketing's all BS. Just buy the just buy the best one for the money. This is a, an interesting trap to fall into. The best Ooh. one for the money. Well, what's that? It's like pretty vague. And so we thought we'd talk about that today and maybe provoke some thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I think we will. Especially on jump ropes. Yes, ironically enough, you were just in the market for a jump rope, weren't you? <laughs> Yeah, because when you said that, I, I thought, gee, I think it was $42, not 36 <laughs> which makes his point even all the more dramatic. But I had um, a fitness center where I used to live, and so I would go in there, and they had this crappy jump rope. I mean, it was horrible. And I wasn't sure if like I'm really the jump roping type or not, but I thought about it, and I thought, I'm going to get a jump rope. And it had to be better than the one that was there, but I like color. And I wanted a jump rope that had the colors I like in it. I didn't want this black, like, gym rat jump rope. That's just not me, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so somehow, I can't remember how I heard about this jump rope, but I did. And I searched. And it took me 
a few days, not like I was sitting on the computer the whole time looking for it, but whenever I had a moment, I would try to find it. I finally found the company. Unfortunately, I can't remember the name of it. And they had these beautiful jump ropes. They looked like they worked. They didn't look like that plastic thing. They had a, I think they had a lifetime guarantee, but they had these beautiful colors and you could customize the handle and the color of the rope itself. And you could weave different colors in it. And I could kind of slice and dice my way to my perfect jump rope. And <laughs> I was willing to pay $42 for that. I mean, it's fitness. 42 bucks seemed like a reasonable investment to me. But I'm thinking your guy would not have thought that. <laughs> you would think I'm crazy. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, right? So the underlying issue here is that value is thoroughly 100% subjective. It's a perception in the mind of the potential buyer. It's, it's all in the buyer's head. So it's really tough to judge from the outside. I suppose there are edge cases like maybe in medicine and, you know, things that are life and death. But in general, for day-to-day purchases, products and services, there's a lot going on in everybody's heads. Everybody's got these stories going through their heads. They tell themselves their identity, all these things that are important to them, uh, what they think is cool about themselves, what they think is not cool about themselves. All, there's all of these, and everybody's got different stories going through their heads. So when you see someone who is spending $42 on a jump rope and, just, and, and it just causes you to roll your eyes, well, Rochelle's looking for something different than what you would be looking for. So it's just, it's just, she's buying a different experience. That's the important thing. It's not just a jump rope. And yes, theoretically, I mean, like, let's just, let's just take it to the logical conclusion. Theoretically, you could buy the, the least expensive jump rope. Let's say that it's not going to break at least so you can physically use it. You're going to buy the least expensive jump rope, but it feels plasticky and, and it creaks as every time it goes around and it's black and it really is a turn off. And yeah, so maybe you don't use it as much. And the next thing you know, you're not using it at all. And it's in a drawer. But if you've got this exciting, perfect, you know, your favorite color, fuchsia, stripe, rainbow, you know, whatever, and it feels great and it sound, makes a cool noise when it goes around and it makes you feel cool, then you're probably going to use it more. Or maybe you're going to use it more. It's more likely I will. Right. So that you, you might even keep it out instead of in a drawer because you like the way it looks and you, you're grabbing it more often. And this is all important. So I, I came up with a list of a few things that when this subject came up, I came up with a few things that are outside of the object or you know, the, the thing itself that would cause you to cause someone potentially to pay a premium for the thing. And off the top of my head, I had a couple of examples that I'll read through here. So one of them was having a lifetime guarantee. This to me, I think, is probably the most uh, persuasive to someone who's a super duper pragmatist or is is thinking about buying something they don't really care about. So like if I go to buy a some kind of tool, like, a, I don't know, like a, a socket set or something like that, I'm going to buy the cheapest one because I don't care. I'm never going to, I'm going to use it once. Like, why am I even buying it? I should just hire someone. I'm not handy. And that's the story I tell myself. I'm not handy. So I'm not going to spend... 500 bucks on like a nice socket set just to do one thing that I'll probably screw up and end up hiring someone to fix anyway. And I suppose it turns into a self-fulfilling prophecy because they're terrible (laughs) terrible tools. But but I, I think for someone like me, perhaps in an area where I'm very pragmatic, a lifetime guarantee would be, is a very pragmatic thing. It's like, well, I don't have to worry about this thing breaking or, uh, or whatever. I have a 
Tilly hat, which is probably a $150 hat that you could get a version of a knockoff kind of version for probably 15 bucks at a target. I'm paying 10 times more, but this hat has a sort of a whole pedigree and a backstory and it's got this lifetime guarantee. If anything ever happens to it, uh, then you can send it back and get a new one, kind of like L.L. Bean boots. I don't know if they still do that, but but so lifetime guarantee was one of the examples. Um, another thing could be uh, that the product is ethically produced or made in the USA, or it's got some sort of supply chain that, that you're comfortable with. It's sustainable or whatever, or these are, uh, what's it called when the coffee bean growers are fair trade coffee, you know, so you might pay extra for that because you want to support um, that particular kind of a supply chain versus perhaps less ethical one in your mind. But again, this is completely a story in your head. Not that it's not true. It's, I'm not saying they're lying about it. I'm just saying some people don't care. Some people do care. And for people who do care, they're going to pay more for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the provenance. Yes, provenance. That's exactly the word I was trying to think of. Thank <laughs> you. Uh, another one is tribal signaling. And my favorite example of this is when... Uh, when the iPad, uh, iPad, the iPod first came out, if, if you're old enough to remember that, dear listener, uh, when the iPod first came out, there were already a lot of MP3 players that were already, the Sony Walkman was already a thing, had been a thing for a long time. But across the board, every single headphone cable was black. When the iPod came out, Apple went with white headphones. And why is that, do you think? Because the, the iPod is in your pocket. People probably can't see it all the time, but they can see the headphones all the time. And when you see these people walking around with these white headphones on, you wow, they have an Apple device. They have an iPod. They sprung the 350 bucks when it, they could have spent 75 or something for a Zune, but they went out and they sprung for that. Again, is this BS or genius? They're cool. They're rich. They're better off than me. You know, the person who's wearing those white headphones and, and think back to the ads, all it was was silhouettes with white headphone cables. Right. That's all you could see. Yeah. It was like white headphone cables as, f- as far as you could see. And then, you know, after a while, people started making aftermarket white headphone cables. <laughs> Apple should have somehow tried to prevent the white. You know, we patented white headphone cables. What that is doing is, I would call it tribal signaling. It's like, I'm in a particular tribe. I care about music or I care about this particular experience. Or I, I care about Apple, the underdog back then, the underdog trying to, it was very, very strong like that. Uh, very strong uh, thing that you were buying on top of the iPod itself was the feeling you got while you were on the subway wearing it. Just a couple more. Um, next one was Social Good and Tom's Shoes comes to mind. Warby Parker. But what are those socks? Bonabas or whatever they are. Um, these socks where they're in the glasses and the shoes where if you buy a pair, somebody else gets a pair. Every time you put them on, you get that sort of like charity feel like, oh, I'm a good person type of feeling because I helped someone, but with this purchase. And then the last one that that uh, I came up with was status games. So things like oh, really expensive Tesla. <laughs> See, Tesla to me is more tribal. All of these kind of overlap. I think Tesla's more tribal signaling to me. But really? uh, BMW or Mercedes is way more status games, I think, because because if you're buying an electric car, I think that Tesla is much. You're right. You're right. If you get a Roadster, sure. <laughs> but like a Model Three, it doesn't matter. They, they kind of overlap. But certain things like like a Petek Philippe is a you know you could spend a hundred thousand dollars on that, and it's just a dumb watch, right? Well, who would spend a hundred thousand dollars on a watch? It's just a dumb watch, or Rolex. Well, the people that are buying watches like that. They're playing status games and they're and they're going into meetings where people are all looking at each other's watches. 
and they want the watch that's on the inside front cover of Harvard Business Review. For people who are also readers of Harvard Business Review, they want everyone to recognize that they have the one that is can afford that ad, you know, so they're the higher status or whatever the case may be. I think every single one of these, Tilly, Burt's, Apple, Tom's Shoes, Rolex, Tesla, they all have a backstory. You've heard of all these brands. They built up this brand and they stand for something. And it's sort of like entered culture enough that there's value in it beyond the thing itself. Like if I go yes. Burt's Bees chapstick or whatever, or like, uh, do you see what I just did? Chapstick. <laughs> Burt's Bees, whatever it is. Then you're getting something beyond, you're getting the, an extra feeling or um, you're strengthening the stories that you tell yourself about yourself that you like and you're, it's not BS. It's real. It's a real feeling. It's just as real as every, any other feeling or thing. I mean, everything's in your head. Well, every, when, everything. It's, when it's real, it's not BS. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we're rolling and, out yeah. lying. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and, but even real is subjective. Right. Because one person can look at that and go, oh, that's BS. And the other one says, no, no, but it's not. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. You just don't get it. You don't get the. Yeah. Yeah. You don't get it. And so you're not the buyer. Right. It's not for you. Yeah, exactly. Right. So why is this important? This is not important so that you can stop judging people who you buy $36 jump rows. This is important (laughs) because you sell stuff, too. And you have to ask yourself, what are, what's the experience of working with you? What's the experience of buying your ebook or attending your workshop or going to one of your talks? It's not just the information transfer. There's in fact, if it was just information transfer, then everything would probably be a book or an audio file. You'd do everything in one medium, but you don't, you do, you probably do give talks or go to meetups and see people in real life. And you probably do write books or maybe a blog post or maybe a a blog or maybe email list or maybe a podcast. You probably do all these different things and you might be telling the same story, sharing the same expertise across all these different mediums. But guess what? The experience is different in each one of those mediums. And it's not just like, it's not just that oh, some people don't go to conferences and some people don't listen to podcasts and some people don't watch YouTube and some people don't read blogs. So I have to be in all these places. It's not like that. It's a different experience. It's a different way to communicate and different things are being communicated in each one. Like if you read a transcript of this episode, that is actually different than listening to it. Yes, yes. And and there are reasons which have to do with how people learn and why you might want to do a transcript when you do a video or, or an audio. But what really strikes me through all of this is this is why psychographics are so important, that you understand the psychographics of your audience. And by psychographics, it's the stuff that isn't a pure demo statistic. So it's not like male, female, age, how many kids they have. It's that where do they get information? How do they like to get information? What sources do they look at? Um, how do they feel about, you know, fill in the blank? You know, maybe your audience is all about people who want sustainability, right? And so it's, it's getting inside the heads of those people because that's how you tell the difference between marketing genius and marketing BS. It's like it's where two things come together. And the one thing is what you do, sort of the way you deliver what you do, that experience that you create naturally using your strengths and talents. And then the other part is, where's your ideal audience coming from? What, what about them makes them a good match for you? And when you start to think about that, you'll think about whether you're wanting to speak to the guy 
the person, I should say, who wants the $5 jump rope or the $42 jump rope. Mm -hmm. I think of psychographics as in a shorthand, like what does the audience believe? Like what belief does this segment of the population have? Which is, you can easily imagine that maybe some things map somewhat to demographics like uh, race, gender, height, weight, age, those sorts of things. But tons of things don't. I mean, probably most things don't political leanings or uh, leaning on particular issues or uh, the environment, social good, like these cut across race and gender and age and all of those things. If you're in touch with your audience, you're going to understand what they believe. It's like getting past the demographics. So you're, you're past the like, oh, you know, 18 to 35 year old male college educated, blah, 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 blah. It's like, yeah, but I don't know what, if you give me one of those and put them in front of me, I don't know what he's going to think. I could guess, but I probably have you know a better shot at guessing by looking at what he's wearing than than those statistics that would show up in like the census, you know. So just be like, oh, okay, like what does this person believe? And when you when you're in contact, in communication, in conversation with the people that, as Seth would say, seeking to serve, then you're going to. Uh, you're going to know what they believe because they tell you <laughs> yeah. and there's, there are certain patterns that you can see where let's say your audience tends to be really creative. They tend to be pro environmental. They sort of uh, believe in global warming. They think that everyone should drive electric cars, you know, those sorts of things like sustainable energy and uh, green buildings and mission driven businesses. And they want to support people who are creating things like that. Well then, that gives you some clues about what you could do to help cement your, what you're trying to get across to that group of people. There are ways that you can do it, and it, that includes packaging and pricing your products and services in ways that are going to be even more valuable to people who believe those sorts of things or tell themselves those sorts of stories. Well, and then you align those beliefs to your story. You're not making it up. I mean, it's your story, but you pick the points you want to tell and how the, how to tell them based on what the pull is between you and your audience. Like what's going to pull them in that is genuine, authentic, um, and compelling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, compelling is a good word for it. It's really fun to kind of goof on these news stories. It's a popular news story where I think late last year, Paul Newman's Daytona Rolex sold for like $15.4 million. And there's a hat brand. The initials are BBB. I, I don't remember the name, but there's a hat brand where they, they sell a straw hat for $25,000. And it's a straw hat. Is it made out of gold? No, it's not made out of gold. You know, like how could it possibly be worth $25,000? It makes headlines. It's fun to laugh at or get angry about, you know, I remember telling my brother about the $15 million watch and he got, you know, he was, he works in public policy. He got so mad. He threw his drink just about, he was like, how could somebody waste that much money when they could have put 150,000 kids through school? And, you know, that's just an example of whoever bought that watch, who's an anonymous buyer, uh, who bought it through agents. And like my brother, who's in public policy, they're, they have different things going through their minds. They believe different things are important. They have completely different lives. Neither one of them is probably, you know, at least in this particular example, neither one of them is doing anything illegal, uh, but people make different decisions based on a really complex backstory of their life. And their values 
And yeah. it's one of the reasons why I think it's so helpful when you're working on your brand and your marketing is to get really clear about your values. We marketers call them attributes. Like if you were a, a product brand versus a person brand, that's how you would decide how to package your product and who you wanted to talk to. It's the same thing for people, but it's more value-based. What drives you when you're in your business? What things are most important? I mean, that's always going to help you connect with your ideal client because typically you're, you're going to be on the same wavelength. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think especially my audience, probably more so than yours, is tends to be pretty pragmatic, is a very mechanic you know, in the e-myth sense, tech technician sense of like, look, something either works or it doesn't buy the best, best value for the money. I'm going to buy the best one I can get for the money. And like that word best is, is completely <laughs> subjective. And like, they'll say exactly. that to you. They'll say that to you. Like, well, I'm just going to buy the best one for the money. It's like, well, how do you define best? Everybody defines best differently. Mm-hmm. What's the, what's the best knife? Rochelle, what's the best knife? What's well, tough? <laughs> Well, so it's funny you say that because I would say, you know, like Benchmade or uh, Gerber, because I'm thinking outdoor hunting knife. You're thinking kitchen knife. Ah, right. That's why I didn't recognize those brands. I'm like, who's that? Right. So it's not it's just there's no such thing as I mean, there is such thing as best, but it's it's subjective. There's not an Mm -hmm. objective best knife or best jump rope either or best consultant, you know, or best keynote speaker. You're going to get a different experience if you hire Gary Vaynerchuk versus Seth Godin. Are they going to both blow your minds? Probably. Is the audience going to be super happy? Probably. But it depends on what you're going for, what kind of experience you want to create at your event, what kind of people you're bringing to the event. Maybe younger male demos, more Gary V. Maybe older female female demo. If we're talking demos, uh, is maybe a set. Who knows? I'm just making it up. But the important thing to recognize is that if if you are the type that tends to be pragmatic and think about you know like ah oh, that's that's ridiculous why would anyone do that just get the best one for the money it's good enough then first of all i would say you're probably not being honest with yourself because you probably you probably it's it's hard to not be affected by the story behind any kind of product so in the way that or the experience of using or experiencing the product or service. So if you think in your own life, think about stuff that you don't buy the cheapest one of, or better yet, think of stuff that you buy that's in the the high end, perhaps the most expensive. Apple computer is a great example. Like a lot of people would say, oh, but yeah, but Apple's the best one. It's like, well, for you, market share wise, it's not the best. Obviously, you know, there's a reason why Windows computers, if we're ruling out phones and we're just talking about like laptops, like they have more market share. So it's like, well, why? Why did all those people decide to buy Windows machines if Apple is objectively the best one? It's completely subjective. So if you think, so if you look at your own life and you think of things that you buy that are perhaps the most expensive or way up there, or there are many, many cheaper options, you got to ask yourself why? Well, I'll tell you why. Because the marketing's working on you because it's not BS. Because it's real. It works in it. You value it. It matters to you. And so if you just, if, if you ignore that or you don't see it, if you're blind to it, or it's so entwined with the brand that there's, you see no distinction, just Apple stands for think different. And like, that's the, that's the tribe you want to be in that lines with the stories that you have in your head. Great. There's nothing wrong with that. And maybe somebody thinks you're a fool for spending double what you need to spend on a computer. That's not the point. 
The point is that it's probably working on you. If you don't recognize that and all you see when you see marketing is marketing BS that somebody's using to trick people into buying a $42 jump rope, then you're missing out on like if you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater, be like marketing is BS. I don't want to be used car salesman and convince people to try to trick people into buying stuff they don't actually need or trick people into paying more than they should. That's another one. Then it's like, well, you are probably dooming yourself to to being the low price option because you're not delivering those extra less tangible uh, parts of the experience that you could be that people would value and would happily pay a premium for if, you know, if you connect with the right people. Yeah, it's, I mean, I just keep thinking of, um, of someone I, I work with from time to time. Uh, I won't say what kind of work he does, but he does some things for me. And he's such a nice guy, but it's such a boring experience working with him. I mean, it just really <laughs> is. He's like, yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, I could do that. It's okay. me. You can admit it. <laughs> no, <laughs> nobody would call you boring, Jonathan. <laughs> There's this thing that happens when you when you're a solo provider and you really believe what you're doing and you really believe that you're helping clients to solve what you always call their big expensive problem but it's your it's that big idea that you're out there talking about in the world and when you can see how the way you provide your services and products aligns with that big idea that you're solving a problem for them there's an energy in that. There's an excitement around that. It's not BS. And I think the clearer the story you can tell about your connection to that outcome, the better it is. I mean, the example I think of most often is in beauty and fashion because um, they change so much. But with beauty, people will spend $300 on a face cream. Uh, you who, know, who, it, who would spend three hundred dollars? <laughs> what a fool! You know what I mean? Exactly. Well, some yeah. people will, and yeah. sometimes it's about. I find myself doing this with packaging. I love buying soaps. I love <laughs> wonderful, beautiful smelling, rich soaps. I get seduced by the packaging every single time. There are certain colors and and feel of them. So when, when we have house guests, I always give them some fresh new soaps that are beautifully packaged. It's just one of you know, it's just a weird little quirk. I love soaps, but but you get seduced by that packaging, by the look of it, and by the backstory. It's you know, it's I think we can learn a lot from. And there's plenty not to learn from, too, from the beauty and fashion industries. But it's about more than just how smart you are and how fast you can deliver a solution. It's the experience that you give people as you're working with them and before they've even really experienced you personally and how, they, how they're how they welcomed on your website, how they hear back from you, if they hear back from you, when they hear back from you. It's all part of of building that story and making it genius versus BS. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Notice this, dear listener, notice this as you go through your just regular plain old daily life. Don't not business. Just it's so much easier to notice this when you're not looking at your own business or business in general. And, and the reason knives are on my mind is because it was recently my youngest brother got married and me and my other brother gave him a, a knife as like a, it was like a, you know, he's into stuff like that. So and I researched it like you were researching your your jump rope because I don't really know much about knives, really very little. So I researched it. I looked at a bunch of review sites. And the one I picked 
now it's obvious to me in retrospect, the one I picked was the one that I felt like, cause it's a knife, it's going to cut stuff, right? Like I could get any of them. And, and like, so the first thing is like, okay, he'd be into that. He, he carries like everyday carry type stuff. He's into that. So, okay, cool. I'll get him a, I'll get him like a, some kind of a, a pocket knife. So, but I want to get a good one. So what's a good one? What did I do? I, I read up on all of these knives. I read all these people review them and they talked about the different pros and cons of each one. And that includes the backstory, who the designer was, how long it should be expected to last, the handle, the material the handle is made out of, whether or not it's going to break under certain kinds of use. Like I'm thinking like, well, what kind of stuff is he going to do? He's probably going to open mail with it mostly, but you know, <laughs> so, and I'm thinking about it. And then when we gave it to him, what I didn't just hand it, here you go. I told him the story. I didn't do it on purpose. I said this, here, here are the things about this one. These are, it's, you know, I didn't explicitly say this is why I chose it for you. But at the bottom line is I picked the stuff that I thought would click with him. Mm-hmm. And normally when you're buying for yourself, you do the same thing but with, with yourself, but you don't have to externalize it. So when you're giving a gift to someone, it's pretty common. I think it's fairly common. I know I do it all the time where if I give somebody something, I kind of explain why I picked it. Yeah. <laughs> like like yeah. I got you this, you know, I have a friend who's really into craft beer and I'll be like, oh, here, this is the one I brought today. And here's why this is what the mm-hmm. salesman told me about it. And, and here's this knife and the handles made out of this like polycarbonate, like glass thing that's never going to break. It's like, oh, cool. You know, and it, all of that is part of the purchase. It's not, I didn't just get a knife. I got the story that goes the along story. with the knife. And that's what you always tell it. I think people do that all the time. Because the story is usually more interesting than the object. And it, yeah, it's, than the soap or whatever. Yeah, well, especially soap, it disappears. Yeah. The, yeah. Stor- the story is what people remember. And the story is also, the subliminal message of the story is, I chose this for you because I really care for you. And I paid attention to what you might like. I mean, that's the, that's the story underlying freely given gifts. (laughs) Right, right. So the the exercise is the next time you give someone something or even the next time you recommend someone check out a check out a new SaaS product or read this article, notice the story that you tell as you deliver that thing. As you deliver that thing, you're going to probably tell some story around it. And that the cool thing about that it's a little tricky to directly apply that to yourself because people probably aren't giving your <laughs> your services as gifts. It's pretty unlikely, but it externalizes what's going on. So next time you're doing, you know, giving a gift to somebody, a housewarming party, whatever, pay attention to to the process of them opening the gift and f- notice what you're doing while they're doing that. You're almost certainly going to be telling them a story about the thing, why you picked it for them, and that sort of thing. Maybe not, but. It's, it seems to be pretty common. I see it happen all the time. So check that out and, and recognize that that is very real. And it's, it's also something that the marketing department at the company that made that thing put a lot of thought into almost certainly. So it's, it's important and it's not BS. It's absolutely real. We brought a housewarming gift to a party and we hadn't seen the house yet. So I really didn't know what to give her. Yeah, and brutal. so, but she has, she has beautiful taste. She's a warm person who loves to entertain. So I thought, well, I'll get something consumable. And I literally walked down the liquor aisle till I found, and I, I didn't research it. I mean, I just looked down the aisle, but I found a gin 
that had a beautiful label. She's in kind of visual design. So I knew the label had to be beautiful and it was very clean. You know, it felt like her. And then I read the story on the back of the bottle and it was a small batch gin and there was a whole story to it. We kind of walked in and I sort of handed it to her and, but there were a lot of people and there's a lot of stuff going on. So I didn't tell her the story. But I couldn't wait to find her and pull her aside <laughs> and tell her. It's like, so you can tell, you know, so when you have your friends over and you're drinking this gin, this is what you need to know. It's, it's what we do as humans. I recently had a, uh, have a new client who wanted to speak to some, some of my other clients. He wanted that, that conversation. And it was fascinating because each person told him something different. They all gelled with what he wanted and what he thought he could get, but it was the story. And when you can hear that story interpreted through someone else's eyes, I'm telling you, they give you gems. It's like testimonials, right? Except that they don't, because they don't have to say them publicly, they'll say more in private conversation, and they'll pick up on things about you that you may not have even known about yourself, things that they value. And it's always about the experience. It's not about, well, they have a bachelor's degree in this and a master's degree in that, and they worked for this company. Uh-uh-uh-uh. It's it's outcomes, it's experience. Yeah, those are the ingredients. Those go on the back of the label. Yeah. The, the, the yeah. important benefits are on the front of the label, and there's a lot fewer benefits on the front of the label they're big print it's like obvious gets rid of migraines fast and then on the back there's like ten thousand ingredients that you can barely even read because they're not as important so we could get into placebo effect but that's a whole nother whole nother (laughs) yeah but my hope would be that anybody who is listening to this that is under the impression that Marketing's all BS. Yeah, maybe I have to do it, but you know, I don't really want to. My hope is that you'll start recognizing the kind of marketing that is working on you because it is and start to recognize that there's more to the transaction than just the, you know, money going to the seller and the product coming to the buyer. There's a lot more going on than that. And that you can you can be more effective and create, you know, if what you're trying to do is satisfy customers, which is what you should be trying to do, then you you can be better at it by recognizing those things. You know, what are the other parts of your products and services that that would be a better experience for the kind of people you're trying to connect with? Just like we always say, you can't be everything to everyone. This is a great example of why. If you're trying to help people who are into renewable energy, it's going to be pretty hard to sell it to climate deniers. Pick your battles. I don't even want to go so far as to be like, and then do this. Like, just recognize it. Recognize that there's more to it than just the money changing hands for a good or service. There's a lot more going on there. And whether you are controlling it or not, it's currently happening. Yes, it is happening. And you can, if not control it, you can funnel it. You can direct it. We talked about this before we started recording. I think this is all about value creation. It's when your story gets told by other people, not by you, by other people to people they know, that's value creation. You're not having to sell that person. You don't have to reach them. You're creating a ripple effect. And there's value in that. That's the thing to keep in mind is that you're building value. 
marketing done well isn't like empty platitudes. We're the best. Buy our used cars here. That's bad marketing. Oh, that's horrible. It's about pulling out what's unique and memorable and valuable that only you deliver. And when you do that in some kind of a consistent way and you can tie it to a story or a series of stories, value is not far behind. Yeah, I think it was Peter Drucker that said something like, and I'll paraphrase it, he said, there's only two value creation areas inside the enterprise, innovation and marketing. Everything else is a cost. When I first read that, I was like, I don't know. <laughs> but but it makes, like over time it sank in and I was like, wow. And, and I would almost, you could almost argue that innovation is part of marketing. Almost. Because of market research and like, it, depend, it depends on where your innovation is coming from. But yeah, for people like us on, on this show, I think that's true. Yeah. I mean, if you're inventing a new way to fly, then, okay, that's probably coming yeah, out of the lab. Yeah, that's a little different. Yeah. Right. If that quote, if you don't believe it, just meditate on it for a little while. He said, I think it was also him that said, um, the purpose of a business is to create a customer. I'm probably remembering that wrong. But I was like, when I first read that same thing, I was like, eh, no, it's to make a profit. But if you think about it long enough, you're like, oh, yeah. yeah where does the but, profit come from? <laughs> right. And then, you, but it, it could get cyclical. So it's kind of like, where do you stop? But but the genius, if you take those two quotes together, innovation and marketing are the, that's where value creation is. Everything else is a cost. And that other quote, uh, that the purpose of a business is to create a customer. You can see what he's talking about. He's not talking about like, oh, uh, I'm a locksmith. You, you locked out. I can unlock your door for you. He's not talking about business. He's talking about big, new, giant businesses. It doesn't have to be big, new, giant businesses. It could be your business, you know, solopreneur. But it's easier to see with giant ones. Like um, Apple's a good example with the iPhone. There, there was no customer for the iPhone before the iPhone. They created the customer. They created, or another way to look at it is they created something that there was a desire for, but the desire was latent. Yeah, nobody so, knew it existed until, boom, there it is. Right. And this this ties into a quote that a lot of, I hear, This is the, the Drucker quotes are the flip side of a quote I hear people say all the time, especially designers, it's the same thing that supposedly Henry Ford said, if I asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. And it's the exact same idea. The faster horse quote is the same thing as like, look, you need to be innovating and you need to, you know, and you, you see, you can't just innovate. You also have to market it because if there's no awareness and, and uh, desire in the marketplace, it's, it's not going to happen. You don't create the desire with your marketing. You connect to an existing desire with the marketing. I think that might be the, the disconnect for a lot of people that see marketing as persuasion. It's not persuasion. It's the creation of a brand and a story, and it's clicking with people. It's clicking with a latent desire. Yeah, advertising is persuasion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and advertising is a subset of marketing. It's marketing. I think of marketing as strategic, and I like your definition of it. It's connective. And it's in, in the example you use when you're trying to connect it to a desire, the desire already has to be there, but the desire wouldn't be for an iPhone when it didn't exist. The desire was to connect 
in ways that are more mobile. So I don't have to be attached to a phone all the time or, or to be able to have multiple things in one device. They didn't know. It's you connect it to that. And the thing you connect to can be very tribal. It doesn't have to be this logical, analytical thing. It can be, you know, like seeing those, those white headphone wires. By the way, those were the most uncomfortable earbuds ever. I just, <laughs> I hate them. Yeah, Eric hated uh, them too. Yeah, but um, what you want to do by story and this visceral alignment and connection is the, the more you can connect to the desires of your ideal audience, everything's easier. Selling is easier. Um, yeah. You can get higher prices. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Price yeah, totally. Yeah, better prices, um, less selling. You may do more marketing, which is, is more general, but you'll do less one-to-one selling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally agree. It makes everything easier. Mm -hmm. All right, solved. (laughs) (laughs) Booyah. Uh, There's a couple of fun exercises there. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully that was helpful, dear listener. I think we should probably stick a fork in it. So that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.